Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to this special episode of the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. And I'm very happy to have with me today Maureen Brogan, who is the statewide coordinator for the Traumatic Loss Coalitions for Youth, uh, operated through Rutgers University Behavioral Healthcare. Um, we are having this conversation today, unfortunately, um, as part of our response to the horrific incident that occurred in Uvalde, Texas, um, and the string of school shootings that we have had across this nation um, over and over again uh, that have traumatized adults and children. Uh, so we wanted to provide this uh, podcast as part of supporting all of you in the field to help you understand what you can do uh, to take care of yourselves, to take care of students, to support each other in the school community. And in particular today, we wanted to discuss how and when to have conversations with students about horrific incidents like school shootings um, and give some strategies to help folks understand uh, their role in having those really important conversations. So Maureen, uh, you've been an incredible partner with us for so long. Um, thank you for being part of this. No, thanks for inviting me, Dave. I'm so glad to be having this conversation because that's exactly what it is people are afraid sometimes to have the conversation. And therefore, because of the fear to have the conversation, the conversation never gets started. So thank you for inviting me here today to answer some questions and, and like just give some overall direction um, because this is not an easy topic. And our first inclination might be to put our um, hands over our ears or our heads down in the sand. Um, and that can actually be potentially more dangerous than anything else. That's yeah, such a great point. Um, and I thought we would start with uh, discussing why we need to address uh, this type of an issue, even when it happens far away. So, you know, we're not talking about a shooting that occurred um, in a New Jersey school district. Uh, we're talking about something that occurred in Uvalde, Texas, uh, very far away. So why is it important for us to be having these conversations now, um, even when the incident did not occur in, in our own backyard? When we take to, um, for a young student, say elementary, Texas is that big state so far away. However, when you're talking to a second or third grader who might hear something on the news or people talking about it in the grocery store while their parents are waiting to check out and they start to hear 
oh my, those children were only nine or 10 years old. Their ears perk up and they're like, what? What's going on? I'm only nine or 10 years old. What? Like what? Kids were killed? So even though Texas might seem so far away, certain events happen. You can even say the war in Ukraine. Certain events happen miles and miles away, but because of social media, because of conversations um, happening about it, you're, there's no way any parent, any teacher, any even law officer is going to be able to protect the children from hearing and seeing different visuals of what actually had happened. And because there's so much talk about it, you're really at risk for these kids. If you don't have conversations and open the door for them to ask questions and feel safe, you then are sending a message like, David, think of this. For a child, if you're not talking about it, then to them it becomes, this must be so scary that we're not even talking about it. So the keeping quiet is really not protecting them. The keeping totally quiet is actually adding to potential fear and anxiety to be like, we're not even supposed to talk about this. So I guess to answer your question, it's really, we need to have these conversations because they're going to be exposed. They already were exposed. Um, it was such a, it was in the news. It was something that was just reeling over and over and over again. And when we also think of our young, younger children, and developmentally, when you're talking about like your five, six-year-olds, um, when we go back to 9-11 and, and kids would watch the towers falling, we learned from research that they thought like the whole country was being bombed because they just saw the building and they're like, and another one fell and another one fell and another one fell, not making the connection that it's just a different news station or it's just a different angle of the towers falling. So to them... In their minds, it was like, oh my gosh, look at all these buildings that are falling. And it continued for like all day. So that's the same thing when we think of younger children not being able to process. If they're seeing constant visuals from different stations or even social media, it may look like, and there's another shooting, and there's another shooting, and there's another shooting. And we're going to raise their anxiety that, you know, schools should not expect um, seeing some of our younger children afraid to go and starting to demonstrate some separation anxiety, starting to see some regression. Like you start seeing other third graders act as if they were first graders. You start to see, you know, kindergartners put the thumb back in their mouth. You start to see some regression, which is just that kind of that fear being manifested. So basically, um, I guess the advice is you have to have the conversation because they're going to be exposed to it. So why not try to take, um, we try to direct, we try to guide the conversations as opposed to it just being a free for all, which would um, ultimately add to anxiety and stress reactions. Now, of course, as every educator knows, the way we have conversations is very different depending on the age and developmental level of that particular student. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about some of the differences between having this conversation with very young elementary students, you know, versus middle school or high school students, some of the different considerations? Mm -hmm. And really the considerations um, also are based on not only their age and developmental stage, but also to what they know and what they've heard and what they ask. Because we're saying start the conversation. And really as the trusted adults, let the student kind of guide the conversation because if they have a couple of questions, we as adults sometimes jump the gun and try to over explain 
or overshare. And that's not even what the child was asking. Like, so with younger children, you know, they might start off by saying like, hmm, I heard some kids got really, really hurt and some died. And then a trusted adult might be like, yes, unfortunately that did happen. And we're very sad. What else did you hear? You know, and then let them with younger children describe what they've heard. And then you could ask, is there anything that you're concerned about, you know, and just answer their questions and not be tempted to fill in the blanks um, because it might, that's more of our need as the adults to fill in the blank when their answers might be like, oh, okay, I heard that there were some second graders. I, I just wanted to know their ages. And that's all the additional information they wanted to know. So with younger children, it's like, um, don't be tempted to overshare where with, um, when you start to get to middle school and the high school students, you might get more of their um, moral thinking. And what does this mean? And those are very different conversations. But when you get to the high school level, those are conversations that should be happening. Like their level of thinking is different. It's, it's so much more layered than you would expect in the elementary school. So without giving your own personal opinions and always sticking with the facts, you're still going with the whole, like, tell me more. You know what I mean? Like, what does this mean for you? Um, and then how can we be supportive? But sometimes it's like um, with older students, I would say afford more time to have those conversations and don't shut them down if they want to go a little bit deeper, because that's actually part of their, where they are in their, in their developmental stages is to be able to question and challenge. And, um, and then also too, the same thing is kind of redirecting them to be like, and what do you think that we can do about this to make this, uh, you know, a better world, a better school community for us? So you're going to just kind of like guide the conversation. But bottom line is, Dave, is always we're meeting the student where they're at um, and we're taking their lead. Um, so before we have these conversations, you want to make sure as an adult, one, that you have the facts the facts, and not maybe what was posted on Facebook or, you know, the latest tweet but the facts, so you're speaking facts when you're talking with students. And then also too, um, not being tempted to overshare. Also too, it's not a time for us as adults to put in our own um, opinions on things because this could get rather ugly rather quickly and very divisive. And that's not, you know, it may not be your intention, but if you're not in check with your own emotions to this, a conversation could easily lead to you being on your soapbox about some issue that really isn't the issue. It's a secondary issue. So you want to stay with the primary issue is it's like, what does this mean for you? Um, and what can we do to support? That's such an important point. Um, now, to contrast that, though, with the importance when students do want to express themselves to give them a safe way to do that. So we have seen um, in New Jersey and across the nation, many students who have wanted to engage in some sort of um, civic uh, discourse on these mm -hmm. issues. Um, and it's really important to give those outlets. You, you want to talk about the value of yeah. doing that for students? Absolutely, because what we've known from the field and anything, it's being part of the prevention part is giving that opportunity and directing, whether it's sadness or anger or whatever that emotion might be, um, whether you feel like something was just morally, ethically wrong, affording them the opportunity for activism, it, it really is something that builds upon, it's, it helps build character. 
It's like, because you're saying like, you know what? Yes, if you're feeling this strongly about something, there are proper ways to express that, but there's a need for activism. That's how change occurs. So you have a balancing act to do as an educator, but it is balancing the, okay, we're not going to let you do anything like obviously illegal, you know, but with, you want to make, if they wanted to do a walkout, you might actually say like, Hey, just be smart about it. And, you know, fill us in. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but make sure these are the, you know, are these the reasons why you're doing it? And is it safe? You know, like to keep them thinking, how do we make this a safe for everybody and not just to get our point across, but in a rather safe, um, organized manner. And it can teach them a lot of skills. We have so many examples where uh, school leaders have engaged with student leaders and proactively thought through how to do this sort of thing in a safe way. Um, You know, we have to think about that, think about making sure the kids aren't going to be walking across dangerous roads, aren't going to be doing things that put them in other sorts of dangers. So having that trust that develops between Mm -hmm. school leaders and student leaders um, is huge yeah. so that you can actually do this in, in a way that is beneficial. You definitely don't want to thwart any of their, um, you know, wanting to put something into action. You know, I think it's a great life lesson to be like, if you don't like something and something needs to change, then you have to be that voice of that change. And I think it's great that educators are also teaching them to be like, there's certain ways of going about that. So it really can become a whole educational like lesson in and of itself. Um, And I love how you had mentioned too, again, you talk, go back to what is it? It's a conversation. It's a have a conversation of like, what do you hope to accomplish? What do you think would be a safe way? But it's that communication, then the students feel heard because you didn't just squash it down saying thou shall not leave the building. You're kind of having that conversation to be like, if you're planning a walkout, like what makes sense? What's going to keep everybody safe? So I think you're stressing that whole idea of, your opinion matters, what you feel is important, but there's also, you're also a part of a community, this school community, and how do we keep our whole school community, you know, safe and engaged. So what do we say to the adults who might be listening to this, who are thinking that, boy, I'm having so much trouble myself processing what happened. I'm going through a whole range of emotions myself. And how can I possibly have this conversation with my students when I'm still working through all of these issues on Mm -hmm. on my own? Yeah. And and part of that too, and I know it seems so like simple, but we forget so frequently to take the step back and take a deep breath ourselves. That so many times, like we just want to either rush and get something over because it's our own discomfort. So I think the important part first is one acknowledging because it's so much better to acknowledge, to be like, this is where I'm at. Um, And being truly transparent and honest in the sense of, if you can't have that conversation, is there a colleague or someone who could start that conversation? If you're in your home and you're a parent and you're not in a good space, is there um, a way to say, I'm gonna make time to have this conversation, but it's not gonna be in this five minutes. You know what I mean? We will talk about it, but it's gonna have to wait until dinner time, but to still have that conversation in a relatively short period, but making time and space for it or asking your partner or someone else, whether it's another guardian, another trusted adult to be like, I can't have this conversation right now. How are you doing? So one, I think it's always um, building our adult relationships to check and balance, to be like, who's in a really good place who could start this? If you really can't do it, then you should step back. But the first thing is really 
if you do take a step back, if you take a few breaths, if you really start to do some introspective work about being like, why am I struggling with this so much? Um, and then maybe reading up or asking some other people, um, and I know it sounds a little funny, but sometimes even rehearsing to be like, hey, Dave, I'm thinking about talking to my 17 year old and I was thinking about starting it off the conversation like this. Now put your 17 year old brain on, what do you think? You know, like, so sometimes it is just that like rehearsal and getting the words out of our mouths actually is an important part. Cause sometimes we like kind of process everything in our head and we're like, okay, we got this, but there's something different about actually having to say it out loud. And if you practice it and rehearse it, and I even suggest to have the conversation in the mirror, and like watch your own body language, watch to see if your body's telling you anything like, Maureen, you really thought you were okay with this conversation, but I'm looking at you in the mirror and it's like you're shaking or you're breathing heavy or you keep like, you keep looking a different way. Um, so I would just suggest there and also to, um, to be gentle with yourself as an adult. Like we also, people say sometimes too, like, well, what if I get a little teary-eyed? You get a little teary-eyed. You're, you're demonstrating the human part of you. Now, of course, if you start to hyperventilate, you might want to be like, not a good time for me to have this conversation. But becoming teary-eyed just taps into the, you might even acknowledge, like even when I talk about it, I become a little teary-eyed. You're demonstrating that human piece that will also help connect with the students. Now, there is a fear that's very natural that many adults would have that boy, what if I start this conversation and then I'm in over my head? Mm -hmm. I'm, I wasn't prepared for the responses I was getting from a particular student. Right. And then what I also suggest too is not only have a backup of someone else who could also like continue the conversation, but have some resources. Um, and even too, like um, if you're having a conversation and then all of a sudden a student starts to share like some thoughts and feelings related or unrelated, and they might have to do with self-harm or they might have to do with harming others or they might have to do with um, um, even suicide. Making sure that you have some additional resources right at hand when you're having the conversation of whether it's in your school community, whether it's out in the general community, whether it's some of those hotlines, and we can actually share some additional resources. The recommendation is always like, before you have the conversation, have who your to-go-to people or who you would direct this student to if you were to say like, wait, this is getting a little bit deeper or this student is starting to share some things that might require uh, some more assessing or some more looking into. And that's not what I'm equipped to do. Who are your to-go-to people to then connect them to? Um, that's a great point. So it would certainly um, increase the comfort level to know when some conversation needs to be handed off to another person, uh, because there is this temptation to say that, well, these are issues that we should only leave to school counselors um, and maybe school administrators and no one else. How, how do you respond to that? Yeah. And um, because like coming from the field of suicidology, where we say it's a public health issue. In many ways, all of this kind of um, violence is also a public health issue. And with a public health issue, it's not just 
a handful of people that, oh, you know what, like that's a school problem or that's a parent problem or that's an administrative problem. It's like, this is an us problem. And why us? I mean, in, when we talk about a school community, we're talking about, it's an us problem. Everyone from bus drivers to coaches, to paraprofessionals, to um, anyone who interacts with the student, to the teachers, to the, you know, um, then also to your, to your SAC and to your vice principal. So it's really like, Basically, you want everyone in the building to be comfortable if something should spontaneously come up. And for whatever reason, that student feels like you're their trusted adult and you're the person that they could have this conversation with. Um, because sometimes I think we're tempted to shut conversation down. And that's really because of our own fear. Like we get in our heads to be like, well, what if they say this? Or what if they say that? And I don't know what to do. So we shut it down. And I was reading... Um, some more research on some of like the recent school shootings and all of that. And someone made a really good analogy about there are kids that fall through the cracks and then there's other ones that we push through the cracks. And part of that is really saying, if we're shutting them down, there might be an opportunity if there's conversation to really get a better picture of really what's going on for the student. If we shut that conversation down, we don't learn much from silence. I mean, we, we might learn that something's a little bit off, but then it's too easy to look away when it's silence. And when there's conversation and there's other things that are actually out there for us to work with, it actually gives us stuff to work with. So it's a great um, point. I mean, so certainly if, um, and the shutdown doesn't have to be for hours or days, it, it could be a, a five minute shutdown. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, even to that part of, um, the schools, of course, they all have their policy and procedures, and I would never suggest not following your policy and procedures. Obviously, follow your policy and procedures, but we're talking about having those conversations and then being able to take that information or take that student to connect them and the warm handoff in a way. But so we don't want to shut the conversation down ever, ever, ever. We just want, we just kind of want to be able to say, like in the field, we also say, like, stay in our role, stay in our lane, but we all are, we all have a role to play. So I know uh, this is beyond the scope of today to, to discuss in great detail, but can you just touch on some of the uh, signs that we certainly would want to be aware of that a child might be in imminent danger and might need some immediate supports? Right. So when we're talking about, um, if we're looking at the, the, someone who could become potentially dangerous, like, and having some thoughts, one, I also say too, where a lot of times it comes out, Dave, is like the music teacher hears it, the art teacher sees it. There's usually some um, kind of messaging through other ways. Sometimes if you have a social media um, class or you're working on that, you see different things written and you start to say like, that seems a little bit off or a little bit dark, um, especially if it's not, we always go back to the baseline. What was the baseline for this student? Like, what were they like in the, you know, at the beginning of the school year? What have they been like most of their time with us in the high school? So if you're talking about a junior or senior, like really what were they like freshman and sophomore year? What's their baseline? What's their way of being in the world? And then we want to pay attention to if you had a really outgoing student, have they become really withdrawn? You know, if you had someone that was always very involved, whether it's activities or sports, now having no interest. If you start hearing someone who always seemed to be like um, 
the to-go-to person that everyone else wanted to talk to and always seemed to be like almost the caretaker now like kind of being agitated by that behavior to be like, why are you coming to me? Like do it yourself. So you're looking for really changes in their attitudes, their words and their behaviors that seem a little bit different for them. And, and I guess what's hard too is sometimes it doesn't mean anything at all. It means it's a really bad day. Um, and we're, we're all allowed to have those, but also looking at some themes, like if they seem to have an obsession or if they are excessively talking about it. So you can either have the total withdrawal and now I'm not talking about anything, or you can have the excessive talking about, um, or the what we are really concerned about if there's some type of glorification of the perpetrator. Like if you're talking about something and you're starting to hear that this student is just like, wow, look how famous he, this shooter has become. You know, like you want to have a conversation to explore that a little bit more because is this an overlooked student who's now in the back of their mind being like, oh, this is one way to become, you know, very, very well known. Um, but you're never going to get there if you're one, not keeping your ears and eyes open for it. And then the most important part is having a conversation further conversation about what does that all mean? Um, and sometimes you have to engage the parents. So sometimes too, we have to encourage parents to engage the school to say, hey, these are just observations. They may not mean anything. We have to um, build that trust in our own communities to say like, we're on the same side. It's about safety and the well-being of all of our students. And you know, if there's something we're concerned about, let's just, um, let's just have a conversation. What's hard, David, is sometimes people, especially parents, sometimes they're afraid to have the conversation to be something that they acknowledged because they're also afraid to be like, oh, no, my school is a zero tolerance. So if I even share that my child said this or this, they're going to be kicked out of school, they're going to be whatever, they're going to be suspended, they're going to be, you know, yeah. sitting in detention for five days. And um, so one, we have to build trust in our school communities, which I know a lot of schools here in New Jersey are really good at because of their attention to like social emotional learning and so much of the program they have in place. They've really done a lot to change the culture already, but, um, but to be able to follow up in a non um, punitive way um, and to really do it more as in contact and engagement. Um, because when you think about someone who might feel like they're on the fringe, of whether it's society or the school community, the last thing we want to do is add fuel to that fire or if, if they're having some underlying feelings of being left out or, or just, or being slighted, the last thing we want to do is like add to that feeling or like dismiss them. Because if someone who's in desperate need of attention, um, and we say it too, David, you know, we've trained on suicide prevention. Like people are like, oh yeah, it's a frequent flyer. They, they threaten to kill themselves like three times, you know, a month. But you know, if they're saying that, and even if they're not suicidal, something's going on that if you need to get that level of attention. So even if it's not really like a direct threat, something else is going on for students if, if they're pulling in this need for attention. So it's our job to kind of keep those conversations going to figure until we can figure out what that is. Now, I know for many of our listeners, uh, they might be aware that 
We have this incredible system of traumatic loss coalitions in every county in the state of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the services that of course you provide is dealing with the um, impact of a loss within a school community. Mm -hmm. um, but many listeners might not be aware of some of the other services and other supports that you can provide. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the services that are available? Right. And, and Dave, thanks you so much for mentioning that because so many times people are like, oh, well, we're not going to call the TLC because we didn't have a loss. But we can also, um, through our partnerships, what we say too is a lot of times we play the role of a broker of information because there's a lot of information out there. So we have our true <laughs> um, tried and true collaborators, whether it's like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the National Child Traumatic Stress Network is a great partner. And we have contacts there that we're saying like, hey, do you have anything on school shootings and that, that, that are good for parents? And that we can get you information that you might wanna post on your website. Like it doesn't always have to be a, doesn't always have to be a response. It could be training wise, like, hey, you know, we need some staff development. And we were looking at like, you know, some of our crisis planning might be, you know, not as strong as we want. So I just encourage people, like if you have questions about how to respond, how to interact, how to deal with difficult situations to reach out to us or the coordinator in your county, because we can give you so many additional resources. Um, and again, I think what's important too, is that being vetted like when we're giving you information it's because it's evidence-informed evidence-based it's coming from experts and if we don't have the answer um fortunately we have connections to get those answers from someone who is an expert in that particular field and and again we work really well with the disaster and terrorism branch um, at the department of human services so they work a lot with um, school safety and all of that so if we we're saying, oh, this is a little bit out of our league, we would then partner with them or inform the school or do that nice email where it's like, hey, connecting you with my colleague, Steve Cromando, who would have a better answer over here from the disaster and terrorism branch. Now, of course, we're having um, this conversation today in light of a specific incident um, and you know, a string of incidents that we have had in recent years regarding school shootings. Um, but we are, uh, as we're recording this in early June of 2022, um, there might be some folks who are tempted to think that we just need to get through June and we can all go back to normal come September. Can you talk about the importance of long-range planning on these issues? Mm -hmm. And also, too, it's um, never one and done, because sometimes we get tempted to be like, okay, check, we did a training on that, and that's done. This is all about implementation of, like, what are we changing? What do we have in place? Um, and really, at this point in June, it's like conversations, but what is it going to look like come September? And also, too, with your students leaving, for example, what have you put on your website? for parents, for students to be like, hey, if over the summer you're struggling with A, B, C, D, or E, you know what I mean? This is who you can reach out to. These are, these are places of support. So you might wanna have some of these, you know, second floor numbers and the crisis text line numbers because then you're also not just like leaving them because we've rely so much on our school staff. Like if the pandemic taught anything, it was like how much our schools and our school staff really do beyond just the academic part and how many um, voids they actually fill. So then if you're looking at like the two and a half months of summer break, 
Like how, what can we put in place for caretakers, for students themselves to also like reach out and, and get support because they won't be in the hallways and they won't have maybe the favorite coach or even to the paraprofessional or someone who's in the lunchroom or even your custodial staff. All these people play such an important role. And without them, we just want to make sure that we're, our students have resources, our parents have resources and heck, even staff, like we all need you know, just because it's summer, it's like, there's still a lot going on. And we don't want to come back in September and then almost have to do a check-in and, and feel like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like this kid fell apart over the summer because there were no resources because we rely so heavily on the schools to, to fill that spot. That is such a great point. And um, the pandemic has driven that point home so mm -hmm. powerfully that um, for, for so many of our kids and families that schools are just an essential mm -hmm. uh, part of that safety net right. for, for students. Uh, so Maureen, uh, you're an incredible leader on, on so many of these issues. I wanna thank you for taking time out of what I know is a really busy schedule. Um, any final words of wisdom for those who are listening today? No, just really, um... I always end when I'm talking to any school personnel, like with so much gratitude and it's really difficult because you're under the spotlight all the time. And, you know, parents are watching you and your supervisor is watching you and students are watching you. And at times that could really be a lot of pressure. So I just like to end with like a, an expression of gratitude for what you do, because I couldn't do it. Um, and also to the reminder to exercise some self-compassion. And what I mean by self-compassion, David, is it's taking it a step further than self-care. It's like really saying that like, I'm worthy, um, not only of the self-care, but I'm worthy of these moments when maybe I'm not, I'm not gonna be the strongest and I'm not gonna be the leader, but to also be gentle with yourselves. So, at, you know, as we're wrapping up here in June, you know, hopefully the break, people are afforded some time to take that deep breath, take a step back, rejuvenate, tap into their resiliency, um, because we always say this is a marathon, not a sprint. So, so thank you. Absolutely. So for those who are interested in more information on these uh, inc incredibly important topics, we are posting information on our website at www.njpsa.org slash legal one NJ. Um, and we will be putting a tremendous uh, set of resources, many of which uh, Maureen Brogan uh, shared with us, uh, but a great set of resources to help you if you would like a deeper dive into how to have these conversations, how to support your students, and how to support your entire school community and yourselves in this process. So thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast episode. Be safe, be well, and we look forward to seeing you on a future episode of the Legal One Podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.